is a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Joining me today is a singer who performs across opera, musical theatre and classical crossover. Julie Lee Goodwin has played Musetta in La Boheme and Maria in West Side Story for Opera Australia. She performed opposite Anthony Warlow in Phantom of the Opera and has sung as a soloist with many of Australia's symphony orchestras. But Christmas is coming and she's joining the Sydney Philharmonia Choirs for Carols at the House for three concerts from the 15th to the 17th of December in the Concert Hall of the Sydney Opera House. And I'm delighted she's found the time to be in conversation with me today. Julie Lee Goodwin, welcome back to 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Thank you, Simon. Great to be back. Or perhaps I should say Merry Christmas, given Christmas is in the air. I know. It's <laughs> nice, isn't it, this time of year? Are you a Christmassy You've kind of person? got to be happy at least. <laughs> yes, I think it's a fun, fun time of year. Do you enjoy singing carols? I do, except I must say it's always a funny thing because so many of the famous carols are about wintertime. Yes. And so I still love it, but really it doesn't represent how we are experiencing Christmas. In the bleak midwinter. It can help you cool down <laughs> thinking about Maybe. the snow. Well, that's what I actually think about, um, you know, uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's almost like our kind of a European Australians kind of ancestral dreaming of a white Christmas. Dreaming indeed, yes. <laughs> so what have you got for us in this Carol's concert? Oh, lots of the favourites that the audience can sing along, which is the fun Ooh, part, I think. Absolutely. And then there's some more serious pieces um, as well. Yes. And you're being joined by actor John Bell, who's a, one of the living legends of Australian theatre, I think. What a treat. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like, because you know, hearing that kind of mellifluous voice doing readings does match the singing, because it's a kind of music, isn't it? Absolutely. Listening to the spoken yes, word. Yes, yeah. And very artistic. Yes. Now, you talked about audience participation, and I believe on the Sunday there's a chance for the audience to actually take part in a, a new piece by I'm Elena I'm so excited about this. Yes. So Elena Katzchanan has written a new piece called Summer Together, which I really cannot wait to hear. And the audience can arrive early and have a little rehearsal with the conductor, learn the piece, and then we'll perform it on the Sunday. Well, that's a very special audience participation really to the next special. level. <laughs> now, that's not the first uh, encounter you've had with Elena Katzchanan's uh, new no, music. No. Um, I think it was a couple original. of years ago now, but it was with Opera Australia and Elena wrote a new work uh, called Whiteley, all about Brett Whiteley's mm. um, life and career. And it was a really uh, amazing thing for me to be part of because, of course, most of the operas are so so old. And established. Exactly. Yeah. And to be part of the writing process and Elena to say, well, actually, this range is better for you, so we'll, let's pop it into this key. And, um, oh, so or she could actually we... moved things around. Absolutely. And we said, oh, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to have a bit of a high note maybe in the aria. Can we pop that in? Yeah, it was it was quite um, a process that we had together yes. for, for some time. Yes, you and, don't get to do um, that with Puccini, do you? No, um, no, absolutely not. So <laughs> Although, interestingly, of course, a lot of those operas, uh, they did do that. At of the course, time. they would have at the yeah, time, absolutely, for the, for the singer at the time, and they knew so well how the how the voice worked. So, mm. um, and I think Elena, I, I remember her saying she was really enjoying that challenge of working with the singer's voice, right, um, as well. But yeah, I, it was a really unique experience and one I'm very fond of. So, was there more pressure or more freedom? The fact that it's being performed for the first time, that you are the first. I think, well, I think more freedom mm. in terms of the work, but more pressure because I was playing Wendy Whiteley, who 
is still living ah. and she was in the audience and uh, so that was that gave me a little bit of pressure <laughs> <laughs> did you get to meet her after the I did I went to her home and um, she was absolutely lovely and really <laughs> supportive of, of the new project I'm sure she is going back to some of the Christmas music though um, there is such a history and tradition associated with many of these songs I mean the, the winter part of it aside it's almost like how a lot of us started singing isn't it the Christmas carol tradition very true yes from a, well, for me anyway as a young girl you might be in the school choir or mm. singing along to the telly, the Christmas carols on the telly or, yeah, I think it's a, it is definitely a social experience and one that we where we all come together. Yeah. Well, our first piece of music now, Julie Lee, and, uh, well, you've got Mozart for us. Why have you chosen this I one? I have. Well, I do love Mozart and I've chosen this piece uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, I love it, but it's the first opera or big role, let's say, that I, that I learnt with Opera Australia. It took me months to learn and... Whilst this overture is playing, I would be literally just behind the set about to step foot on stage. And to this day, I still get butterflies as soon as I hear the first, the first bar of this overture. And uh, I just love it. It's got, it's got such an energy about it um, and that sort of nervous energy that relates to Susanna's experience of trying to get married In the <laughs> on this Figaro, day. Exactly. About, yeah. And so this is the, the overture of uh, The Marriage of Figaro. Richard Duval conducting Orchestra Victoria for the overture to Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, the first choice of my guest in conversation today, soprano Julie Lee Goodwin, who is singing Carols of the House along with the Sydney Philharmonia Choirs from the 15th to the 17th of December. Get along to sydneyphilharmonia.com.au for all the details and for tickets. Julie Lee, you talk about the butterflies hearing that um, piece of music about to step on stage. So what was it like after you then stepped on the stage that first time? 
That's a really great question because for me, I would have quite a bit of nervous energy before I stepped foot on stage. And then once I was in the character, not duly fretting about all the minor details and just sort of trying to be Susanna, for example, in, in this opera, then I would just relax into the role and have a good time. For the most part. It's a massive role and exhausting, actually. Because it's not a short opera. No, it's not. And uh, I think Susanna's one of the largest roles in all of the opera repertoire in terms of how many words and notes and things that you have to sing. So it was a a massive first learn. I was a young artist with the company, so I was just really learning the ropes. I think I spent about six months... Uh, learning the piece. I learned it as a play first before I learned the music. Right. Because, of course, singing another language and it's uh, there's so much sort of dialogue versus a TV in the, in the piece. Yes, there is, isn't there? Mm, it's not sung through completely. Exactly. So I wanted it to sound as Italian as possible and um, so I really learned it as a play first. Mm. Mm. Well, more about those early opportunities and Italian uh, a bit later in the program. But uh, mm-hmm. I want to go right back uh, to when you were a little girl and perhaps singing those carols in the school choir. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you see walking onto the stage at the Sydney Opera House to be in the marriage of Figaro as something that was in your future? I would say it was a a dream, perhaps a fantasy. I'm not sure at what point I thought, actually, I can do this. Uh, But certainly from from a young age, I loved singing and dancing and and wanted to perform, but I wasn't quite sure in what, what capacity, let's say. And I was introduced, I, I was born in Sydney, but I actually grew up on 12 acres just outside of Brisbane. And so I didn't really have neighbours, <laughs> little uh, uh, other kids to play with. To tell you to keep it down. <laughs> exactly. And so I would sing to the horses and I'd do a little, you know, dance routine. And, and for me, I, was, I think I was introduced to theatre, let's say, broadly, through movie musicals. Ah. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would run inside and put the VCR on, showing my age, and, uh, and watch... Things like My Fair Lady and lots of Rogers and Hammerstein and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And, and that was really how I was introduced to the idea of singing and dancing and performing all in one. Yeah, because a lot of those 50s Hollywood musicals are, I mean, they're, they're mainly shot on a soundstage anyway. So there is a sort of a theatrical feel to them, mm. more, more than a feature film. Sure, 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 sure. So that was how I, how I fell in love with, with theatre, yeah. really. So what were your parents doing? Were they farmers? Uh, no, um, my dad did um, play with horses and as a, a sort of a hobby hobby job, if you will. Mum works with accounting and, and dad worked with sort of marketing and sales and things. But I think they just loved the idea of a sort of country feel. Right. Mm, it was there. Dream the at the time. Anyway. <laughs> and, and you had to come along for the ride. Exactly. So, so when do you start studying music properly? I was quite young. I was a really girly girl, I must say, as a kid. I, I, Contrary to my sister, who's a bit of a tomboy, it was quite funny between us. But um, so I did a lot of ballet at the local dance school and they brought in a singing teacher and I must have been about, I don't know, 10 maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just loved it and naturally had a classical sound. There was no pop kind of sound coming out of my voice. Right. And, you um, the next Carly Minogue. No. <laughs> and, you know, she was actually conservatorium trained. So that was probably incredibly So high caliber of tuition. Exactly. And, and just really, really understood where I was, my voice was at mm. and, and was the most amazing first teacher. And I, that's how I really fell in love with it. It's interesting that dance was your entree rather mm-hmm. than singing and mm. picking up dancing. So it was more ballet and dance that you were studying. Initially. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about how that then progresses to saying, well, okay, well, I'm, I am going to try and give this a go and make a, make a career out of this. Yeah, What's the decision I, process? I'm not sure. I, um, I think I had a lot of people hearing my voice at that age and, and saying, you're going to become an opera singer. And me thinking, what's that? <laughs> mm. I mean, you, did your parents the like opera? Sound. No, I was so you didn't really have. It was more Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Than uh, it was. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> it was Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, 
at, at some point I went to the young, they have a young conservatorium in, um, in Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, which really fosters young talent was great, and I played clarinet at the time, and so I just started to join the choir and <laughs> really just tried to um, embrace every aspect of it. And at some point, I just, in my heart of hearts, said, "This is what I'm doing." Mm. I remember when I did end up um, going to the conservatorium here in Sydney. My mum saying to me, "You know, maybe you should study education." She likes the idea. She's a very practical person, and I was thinking, "What are you talking about? I'm going to be a performer. That's it." <laughs> There's no second, there's no backup plan. <laughs> so did you come down to the Sydney Con or did your whole family move to We Sydney? all moved back. Right. I finished school actually at the conservatorium in uh, at the Sydney high at the high school. Okay. Yeah. Well, so it's quite clear that you, you wanted to make a go of it. Oh, I was yeah. 100%. Well, our next track of music now, Julie Lee. And well, how can we not after that hear a little bit of Rogers and Hammerstein? And it pulls at my heartstrings that you've uh, chosen something from The Sound of Music. It's a beloved musical uh, still to this day. And this particular piece uh, is I think even the lyrics is timeless and the tune is gorgeous. This I would like to dedicate to our uh, last person who performed this role here in Australia, uh, which was Jackie Dark, an amazing colleague who sadly passed away uh, just a couple of months ago. So this is for you, Jackie. This is Climb Every Mountain. McDonald performing Climb Every Mountain from a 2013 TV special of The Sound of Music. And that was the choice of my guest in conversation today, soprano Julie Lee Goodwin. Julie Lee, as well as dedicating that to Jackie Dark, who sadly left us recently, I'm curious, though, that you chose Audra McDonald rather than a recording that perhaps some of us might be more familiar with from the film. Yes, I think it's a modern take, um, yeah. Audra's version. It's a divine, She's a divine performer and... You she really hear, is Broadway royalty, isn't she? Absolutely. And you can hear that she has some of that sort of looser, more music theatre sound, if you will, at the beginning. And then as it goes up a little in, in the height, it really does go into more operatic sounds. And I think it's quite a unique version yeah. she's done. Yeah. So thinking back to when you, you, know, you were a little girl on that farm and sticking in those VHS tapes of the old <laughs> Hollywood musicals, was there someone who you most aspired towards? Definitely Julie Andrews, yes. without a doubt. I mean, who else um, is there? Of course. <laughs> 
Without a doubt. I, I think I was in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you weren't uh, getting the farm animals to try and sing Day Ray Me, where you've any chance. Oh, I uh, don't think I went that far, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, but tell me about, so you leave the con uh, and then what happens next to send you on your way? So during my final year of high school, I was part of this um, awesome program that is run by, I think, the New South Wales government and it's uh, School Spectacular. And so I had a, a really big featured solo and was the most exciting performance for years in my career because there's so many people and the massive orchestra and choir and um, being televised and all the rest. And I later found out that the conductor of the Fan of the Opera had written my name in the back of her diary. So she saw it on the telly and thought, I think I just want to remember this girl's name. And uh, so it must have been a, a year or so later that Fan of the Opera was auditioning, which I knew absolutely nothing about. And they must not have found exactly what they're after. Uh, so they tracked me down through the education department and asked me to audition. Goodness me. And it was a final callback. So I just went in and sang some phantom songs, which of course I knew. And that was that. And then I was offered one of the Christines and I was 19. I was uh, completely clueless and uh, and then went on this amazing two-year adventure. So let's be absolutely clear. Mm. Your very first role mm. after leaving high school is a lead in a major musical I know. touring Australia. I know. It's not, it's not a little production just <laughs> It's a little insane, isn't it? I hadn't even done an, an amateur musical by this point. You hadn't even really... done, so you hadn't been doing school productions back in the day? No, no. It was really choir and orchestra and I think they did something like a Back to the 80s musical or something that really didn't suit me in high school and that was that. So there must have been... Lots of Steffords and that's how I had performed. Yeah, I but there must have been a really steep learning curve then. Oh, my goodness. Uh so many little things. Because you can sing the you can sing the I notes. Could sing you can sing and the I could dance and I could I could move and. Um, but there's so much you wouldn't have known about how the whole thing works. Oh, right? I, I can't even tell you how clueless I was, <laughs> to the point of one of the first rehearsals on stage because they in the opera they do your makeup in musicals you do your own, so I had a drawing and um and so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I got to the lashes part and I thought. I have absolutely no idea what, how to put this on. <laughs> I'm running upstairs to the chorus girls and asking them if they could sort of teach me how to put put lashes on. Just even the simplest of things. But, um, I mean, I learned so much from my colleagues, all of them. And, of course, Anthony Waller was playing the Phantom. Who yes, what was he like an incredible artist. Oh, he's so talented. I mean, he's a, he really is an actor, singer. And he, I know he had worked with the opera as a younger man. So he was, yeah, his voice is quite phenomenal and I... I, I just and I had a great time on the whole show, to be honest. So tell me about turning up to rehearsals for the first time, the first day. What was what were you thinking? I am innately, I think, quite um, an introvert. I've had to get over that over the years. <laughs> um, I think you might have succeeded. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> too many social events to have to come out of my shell, but I was really quite intimidated, I suppose, first day, without a doubt, as an American creative team and people that had performed the role many, many times and I'd never done any dialogue before. I'd only ever sung and there was a tiny amount of dialogue but I can't even tell you how uncomfortable I felt having to speak rather than sing. Just a few lines, just but, little things like that. But they obviously auditioned the dialogue part as well. They as must well have. The and they, was it more maybe this, they thought we'll work on that. I have no idea. We'll fix that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. So was there any, I mean, I don't want it to be a nasty question, but was there any jealousy, professional jealousy perhaps, the fact that this complete newcomer was had secured this role and there were other people that perhaps you were working with who perhaps had auditioned for Christine Daye and missed out? I have no idea. Right. So Most you, no, likely. Felt, no, but you didn't feel anything? Um. No, I don't think so. Or perhaps I was just too, um, 
unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> there was an element, without a doubt, that I was young. Yeah. I mean, I was I just I was nineteen. I wasn't even twenty, which is is quite young. I moved out of home it's to go to Melbourne to do this tour, yeah. and um, yeah. So I think there was an element of my my natural wonder and and wanting to learn that was part of the character in a way. Mm. Um, but people, broadly speaking, were very generous to you in terms of I, I believe so. I believe <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> they kept them to themselves otherwise. <laughs> but but aside, aside from the, you know, how to put on false eyelashes, yes. um, <laughs> what, what do you think was the most significant thing you learned from that initial experience? One of the things was backing up day after day. Now, I was the alternate, so I wasn't on every single night. But if... if uh, the other person was sick, then I would be on every single night. So I had, I think I had two or three set shows a week, which was quite lovely. Mm. But there were times, I think, because it was over 200 performances that I did in that role. And so keeping it fresh for the audience, fresh for yourself without taking it to another level, because yeah. I think there's a, an idea of, as an artist wanting to keep it fresh, which means you're adding things. But I remember someone saying to me, maybe the director at the time saying, we don't need to add anything. It's at the perfect point and you need to find a way of keeping that fresh rather than adding to make it fresh. So that was something that I have taken away, I guess, mm. even now. Mm. So you feel butterflies in your stomach when you hear the overture to The Marriage of Figaro. Mm. What do you get when you hear those opening notes to Phantom of the Opera? You know, when you hear, when you're doing a show every single day or hearing it every day, I used to dream, it's just in your head, driving you crazy. Um, no, I don't. I think I, I just loved the piece so much and it honestly just fitted in my voice so well. And I still mm. sing pieces from the show today. You sort of back that up with Maria in West Side Story, more or less. Mm -hmm. That was the next uh, next role. Next big gig. Again, another big big role. Uh, and that one was eight times a week for me because I was the, the Maria. The exactly. Maria, yeah. uh, And there were no alternates, so I had to do every, every show. You were on regardless. <laughs> yes, that's right. Gosh, what a musical. Uh, so fantastically written and so dramatic. That was the thing I found the hardest with, with West Side Story because every single night you are crying and mm -hmm. going through what is a, a massive trauma within the show and um, that was incredibly exhausting. I think they've actually done studies comparing sort of the health of a cast and doing a happy musical versus more of a tragedy oh, yeah. and in, and how many people are off sick and all the rest. And, and when I did Annie later, and I, was, I didn't have a single day off, I don't think. Yeah, I think people take that, don't appreciate perhaps how much of yourself you have to give in, in a show. Yes, because you are emotionally going through all that. Exactly. Every night. And more so probably in musical theatre because in opera you really need to keep the voice, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Sounding wonderful without a microphone where if you get a little bit choked up in musical theatre, it, it's quite effective. But also as a rule, the opera is not on every night. You True. Know, it's alternated with of other course. operas. And so mm. whereas with a musical, you are on every night, mm. as you said, extraordinary. Now that was actually... a. Uh, Opera Australia's production uh, on the harbour, wasn't it? Well, I did the 2010 tour, and first. then first, yes, oh, yeah, right. so about a year or so all You've around done it Australia. Times. I have, and then I came back. I was quite surprised. I thought I'd be too old to be honest with you. Um, came back and did uh, the on the harbour with Alexander Lewis. Right. So tell me about the contrast between those two productions because uh, it has to have been different. Oh well, it was a different feeling for yes. sure. Just being outside in that environment was. There's nothing like it uh, from a performing perspective. And I had done um, Love O'Am on the harbour the year before with glorious weather. <laughs> and I think from memory, the West Side Story, we had a lot of rain. Less glorious. Yes. Um, and I remember lying in, in this little single fake bed with Alex, who was playing Tony, 
and it was just a freezing sort of um, night and, you know, it's raining. And, and he said something like, we will never experience this again in our career to perform this role in this environment. And I thought, you're absolutely right. And we just embraced it and the whole cast embraced it and had a wonderful time. But I'd, I'd performed with Alex a number of times. So I think that was becoming special for me because... Yeah. He was also um, he played Raoul when I did Phantom, oh, so right. we had that, and then we kind oh, of that's good yeah then. we'd done some things in the opera, and it was a great cast. I re- I really enjoyed it. An next piece of music now, Julie Lee, and well now we mentioned Labo M, so I think we need to have some. Definitely yes. So I have chosen not the character that I've performed. Uh, I have chosen which is Musetta. Usually. Uh, yes, Musetta. <laughs> um, I was joking about this the other day. I thought I've done about six or seven productions now with Opera Australia of Labo M, and it's always Musetta. And I was thinking, I don't know how to take that because, of course, she's a whore. <laughs> anyway, the I've best chosen, roles well, are. They're a lot of fun, can I say. But uh, Mimi is a glorious role and um, and this aria I, I particularly love. When, funnily enough, when I first heard La Boheme and, and, and learnt the story, I didn't really, uh, I didn't bond with it, let's say. And I think it was because I found the language to be a little bit too flowery. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Italy for the first time, I realised that, Actually, culturally, this is so accurate, the way that they even just eating something and saying how wonderful it tastes. And um, and so when Mimi sings about the first light of day, I can relate to it now because it's it, it's absolutely within their, within their blood. Um, and so Puccini's writing is, is so beautiful. And I've chosen gorgeous Australian soprano, Nicole Carr. the soprano for a little bit of La Boheme from Puccini, Andrea Molino conducting the Opera Australia Orchestra and that was the choice of my guest in conversation today, fellow soprano Julie Lee Goodwin. You can catch her for Carols at the House thanks to the Sydney Philharmonia Choirs from the 15th to the 17th of December in the Concert Hall of the Sydney Opera House. Get along to sydneyphilharmonia.com.au for more information. And well, Julie Lee, Nicole Carr is a great voice and uh, I believe you're having the opportunity to perform with her later next I year. I am, I'm so thrilled. Um... 
Nicole is just an absolute superstar around the world now and a divine soprano. So I'm thrilled to be singing in a Pacini Gala uh, with a her. Pacini Gala? Pacini all Gala. Pacini. All Pacini. <laughs> um, in Melbourne, Hamer Hall next year. I think it's around uh, July, end of July. We'll so have to look something out definitely for that one. to look forward to. Yeah. You mentioned like you keep playing Musetta in La Belle mm-hmm. you know, they keep it, but, but isn't that kind of the, the way of the opera singer? You, you, you know, you, you get your repertoire and you start performing that. <laughs> Not it's so much so over true. and over again. No, you do. You're known for certain Absolutely. roles. Absolutely. You can become known for certain roles. And um, and that happened for me with Musetta. Perhaps because she's a bit of a showgirl in the in the uh, particular production that we mm. have been doing, mm. that that sort of suited perhaps my music theatre background <laughs> and all the rest. But, um, oh, glorious music every night to listen to. So yeah. there's no complaints from my end. And it is a very fun role, Musetta, you have to admit. Oh, it'd have to be. Oh, absolutely. And the first time I learnt the part, I felt a bit uncomfortable about it all because it's quite atrocious behaviour <laughs> that she has for the most part. But the more you embrace it, the better it is, really. <laughs> so I think it's um, I've had quite a lot of fun over the years with her. Yeah. Now, before that uh, piece, you mentioned uh, going to Italy. Yes. Now, how, tell me about how that fit in between, you know, being in Phantom and West Side Story and all the rest of it. Oh, right. Yes. So the first time I went to Italy was actually a sister trip. My sister and I, we wanted oh. to go somewhere. We wanted to go to Egypt, but we thought perhaps it wasn't the best time. So we chose Europe, went to Italy and... Oh, we just, we fell in love with the place. It was great. I think we had a good month or so traveling around and I did a couple of weeks at a language school and I thought, this is great. I've learned so much Italian in such a short period of time. And so every year or two, I would then, I popped back and it was becoming a regular occurrence. And my favorite school was in a little town called Multipulciano. She just happens to have fabulous red wine as well <laughs> in no, Tuscany. Complete coincidence to the language <laughs> The <classes>. perfect <laughs> way to learn a language. And so I'd go off to Italian school and um, I even took Figaro there once. So it was Ooh, I was learning it for the second time. Fantastic. And so I went and, and, and took it with me. And, um, yeah, I just fell in love with the food and the culture and the people and been back quite a few times. But they are far more romantic in the way that they – they speak and they describe things and uh, almost uh, like a level of appreciation that perhaps we don't have as Aussies. We sort of downplay things a bit. And so once I got to appreci- understand that, then I could appreciate Puccini's writing a lot more, I felt. Getting to see where it's kind of based. Exactly. Almost, yeah. yeah. And that was sort of falling in love instantly. And, and oh, my goodness, I uh, <laughs> the first time I went to Italy, I fell in love with a man. I kid you not, his last name was Puccini. Was he? Oh, he was divine, yes. So Wasn't going to work out a bit far. Right. So, so you're not Mrs. Pacini. <laughs> I'm not. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what are the odds, honestly? It's funny because you don't hear those names. You don't hear people called Pacini or Mozart or Beethoven, do you? Like, no, I suppose not. But, yeah. They must, they're, they're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Hilarious. Well, I, I do know that uh, a couple of glasses of wine does help my foreign language skills when I'm uh, travelling overseas. So I can imagine what it would have been like in Italy. But tell me more about the language because I know that, you know, opera is traditionally sung in, not always, but traditionally sung in the original languages and often, but not always, that's Italian. But mm. obviously, operas have been written in all sorts of languages. How important is knowing that language to performing the opera, do you find? Well, it's extremely difficult, um, a lot more work when you don't have any understanding of the language. So when I... It's just mouth sounds otherwise. Basically. And so mm-hmm. when I learned Figaro for the first time, I was learning the phonetics and um, the open and closed vowels, for example, and the double consonants, all those things, plus learning the translation. And then, of course, the ebbs and flow of the language and then adding the music. And it's it's so time consuming. So uh, at that point, that I was already starting to learn Italian. I thought... It's so conversational anyway, um, 
the Mozart was. So a lot of it started to stick. And mm. um, funnily enough, when I did go to language school, I'd, I'd use words and they'd say, that's very old fashioned. <laughs> we, don't, we don't speak that, uh, <laughs> that vocab anymore. But um, I found it really useful learning Italian. It's my biggest regret actually during um, the pandemic was that I, I sort of stopped because I was really oh. starting to make um, some great progress and it helped a lot in terms of picking up a score. But most of the operas I've done have been, have been in Italian or English, so I haven't had to worry too much about French or Russian or anything else yes, at this point. Yes, that would be a bit more challenging mm. than the Russian, certainly. Um, but tell me about the process of building up the repertoire as uh, a, an opera performer. You, you mentioned it took you, say, six months to learn that first role. Mm. Uh, how long did it take you, for instance, to learn La Boheme? You know, sometimes I think it's just about how much time you've got. And, uh, you um, do it in whatever time is available, basically. basically. And, yeah. and ideally, the great coaches will tell you the more time, the better, because it gets into your, not only your voice, but into your body. Mm. And um, a lot can happen on stage. So when it's really in, in your body, it's more secure, let's say. But sometimes you just have to learn something quickly. And, and you do. And you do. Yeah. I've heard extraordinary stories of people learning roles within a, a week or something, which I cannot even fathom. So you do what you can. But I, I think ideally you've got plenty of notice and you can start to learn your repertoire as soon as possible. So tell me about in that early part of your career, um, you know, whether it's the Phantom period in that first West Side Story or doing Marriage of Figaro uh, for that first time, are, was there any figures in your life you felt contributed most to your early career and that stood out for you as important? I was told that some of the older singers, the older recordings uh, were better than today. Now, I don't believe that now. But I thought, okay, so I would I would look up artists of another era yeah. and see how they how they sang. But you know, you can't mimic, so it has to come from you. And there's so so many elements for me. I suppose one of the biggest influences, which I didn't think would be the case, was actually um, working with a language expert. Because once right. you've got the vowels yeah. and the flow of the language and the music, sort of if it's been well written, which it has with these classics, it just it works. Uh, so that was probably the biggest take, actually. Mm. And also not getting too carried away because with my background, starting music theatre, you really throw yourself in emotionally into the role, something like, you know, for example, with Maria and so forth. But if I did that with uh, some characters in the opera, it, it was really counterproductive to singing well. So that was something just to have a bit of restraint and find the right amount to give at different points. Mm. It's yeah. like what that, that director said to you. It's like, you've got it, don't add any more. Exactly. Mm. Right, right. I'm recognising that. An extract of music now, Julie Lee, and we're going to Beethoven. And, well, this is not vocal music. This is piano music. What's this one and why have you chosen it? Yes. You know, I was thinking about different pieces that have touched me in different ways. And this piece, um, particularly, well, the first movement is is so simple, actually. Um, it's really just arpeggios. And for it to be so emotive um, is quite extraordinary, I think. And particularly when it's played by professional, it's something that for me conjures up extreme loss and um, and sadness and is very heavy uh, emotionally speaking. And I thought that was something that's probably quite unique in terms of as I say, how how simple the first mm. movement writing is, and so I wanted to play this one. And and the other the other movements that then follow, or for me anyway, the first movement is is sort of heartbreak, and then the second movement is almost as if you're plodding along, getting along with life, and then the third movement is when that point happens where there's a little firecracker inside you that says, "Righty, I need to get on with things now," <laughs> and it could be any kind of loss, whether it's death or someone leaving you, and um. 
yeah, I think it's a, a journey that I could relate to anyway. And I don't know if anyone else feels that way with this music, but that's how I feel. Uh, so I've, this is a Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. And uh, I chose the third movement. It's a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more sprightly. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, Angela Hewitt, the pianist, the choice of my guest in conversation today, soprano Julie Lee Goodwin. Julie Lee, uh, you didn't try and play the piano back in the day? Were you a pianist at all? I was a terrible, terrible student. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, what a shame because what a beautiful instrument. But I just I just didn't like practising the piano for some reason mm. as a little girl. And as much as my parents encouraged me, I played the clarinet for a while. Oh, which didn't help very much when I was trying to sing. No. <laughs> it was one or the other. Can't sing but, along um, with that. No, but uh, I do adore, adore listening to piano. Yeah, and that, that is such a great, great piece of music, but um, it is so hard. It is just such a such a feat of uh, ability to be able to play that. It's just remarkable. Uh, Julie Lee, you've performed in opera, you've performed in musical theatre. Tell me about the comparison in terms of the people, the way it's put together. What are the main differences? I think the focus, of course, with opera is the music. It's always about the music first and foremost. Sometimes uh, I'd say with musical theatre, it's more about the uh, the drama, perhaps, or the entertainment value. The people, gosh. Is it like a different crowd? Yeah, it? I'd say it is, actually. Mm. Because you, with a musical, you pretty much auditioned for that part. That's it. It's for that specific yes, role. Yes, of course. And so there's such an excitement in having landed a, a, a part in, mm. in the show. With the opera, it, it's more of a, an ongoing family, if you will. And mm -hmm. so different roles come up and you might play one part, you might understudy another. And I mean, times are changing now, of course, but everything's been a bit more uh, casualized. But but perhaps as a, an, there used to be a bit more, maybe a bit more um, of an older generation within the opera that sort of grounded people a bit. What about the method of rehearsal and so on? Does it work? fundamentally the same or is it completely different? Oh, it's it's fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come together and, and sing through the music usually at the beginning and then you start to work through various scenes, then put it together mm -hmm. bit by bit and then you'll have the the zitz probe where you come with, together with the band or the orchestra mm -hmm. and then you hit the stage. So pretty similar in that regard. But you do get with opera, don't you get sort of, you know, sometimes overseas artists or even local artists playing some of the lead roles coming in 
I won't say at the last minute per se, but but people who have established in that role coming in. Yes, absolutely. That's a good point. Uh, with the, the musicals, uh, you, I don't think you'll get the part if you're not available from day one, basically. Exactly. It's, it's quite strict. Mm. Where with the opera, I've I've even myself has been an understudy and I've done all of the rehearsals and then someone's popped in just the week before and it works. Somehow it in, it works, which is crazy <laughs> uh, because they haven't rehearsed the actual production that we're yeah. working on with the direct. They're sort of bringing a production they might have just previously done into yeah. the room. So it it is a little insane, but somehow it works. But they're always standing in the right spot at the right time. Well, or, and if they're not, people just move around, move around. and make it work. So it's perhaps a little bit movable. In <laughs> um, the musicals, funnily enough, I remember there is um, – you would have very specific points on the stage yes. and it is really rehearsed within an inch of its life. So it would be, you'd stand on one and a half, for example, if there were numbers at the front of the stage. Right. Where with the opera, there's nothing like that. I mean, you just sort of vague point and that's where you'd be Go over there. <laughs> in line with roughly that bit of the set. Or um, So yeah, a, a bit more freedom perhaps in that way. And and when I was talking about the the grounding of the, of the artists uh, age-wise, perhaps it's because I started so, I was one of the youngest members of the company when I joined mm. the opera. And so everyone was more experienced and I had the feeling that I could learn from absolutely everyone there. And because I was a young artist, I was a, I was a trainee, if you will. But when I went to the musicals, I was the lead. And so it was, it's not to say I didn't learn from others, but really I was the one, one who was meant to be bringing it to the table. You, know? <laughs> you were the one who was meant to be showing it everyone else. Exactly. How, how, so how it was started, just a different, yeah. maybe that's just how I felt and it's just the feeling, but yeah. Yeah. Is there any snobbery between the two? Um, you know, you've, you've been in West Side Story, you've been in Phantom, etc. Does that colour at all getting opera roles? Because they think, oh, you're a musical theatre star. Certainly early on, hmm. yeah. Uh, but there is a, a, a realistic difference, and particularly in terms of the amplification issue, you know, in the opera. It's, yes, of course, it's a full orchestra and you have, you, yeah, yeah, you have to in, um, have a different yeah. technique. Um, yeah. So I'd say that was the the big one. And um, and also I was, I'm always – which perhaps sets me apart from other artists, but I'm always thinking about the intention of the character. If you, if a director says, you know, walk to the right, the question in my mind will be why? Mm. What's the reason for moving there? So I, I think perhaps I do ask different questions. As opposed to, you know, what's my reason? What's the character's reason for going there? As opposed to, well, it's because it'll look great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. Needs so to be that backup. I remember that always asking those questions early on, yeah. which didn't seem to be asked by other people in, in the room anyway. Where, funnily enough, if they said, can you breathe here instead, I'd say, sure, no problem. I, I don't think I'd ask why. I'd just <laughs> no. say, sure. <laughs> sure, absolutely. The, the one genre we haven't talked about is the concert style performance. Uh -huh. um, is it difficult kind of, you know, getting the energy up in the same way when you're not actually in costume, when you're not uh, playing a particular role? You know, I think artists almost prefer one or the other. Mm. And I've been doing a lot of concert work lately, but I, I do prefer productions. I do prefer taking on another character and... And as I said, I, I can be nervous before I walk out, but then once I'm on stage, I'm on the journey. Mm. Um, but with the concert hall, you really are yourself, and yeah, you have to make it worse. Almost. Walk out and sing a piece, and I, I find it quite quite challenging. And, and there's no fourth wall there in the same way that there is in most stage productions, mm. because you know you are, as you said, coming out as yourself. You're acknowledging the audience's applause. Mm. You're singing. You're then bowing and curtsying and so Absolutely. on. Absolutely. But I suppose you are playing a character a bit because, you know, you're, you're frocked up. Sure, of course, you are frocked up a bit. And um, that's not to say you can't channel the character of, of yeah, whatever piece you're whatever singing. Whatever piece but, you're singing, yeah. Yeah. And also I, I think there is a difference between classical concerts and more music theatre concerts because in music theatre concerts you'll tell a bit of a few anecdotes and yeah. um, it's very relaxed and half the concert might be talking, honestly. And um, where in a classical concert it's very formal, the walking on, the walking off process and mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's very the decays of flowers. Feeling. <laughs> no rotten fruit, hopefully. <laughs> no, no. 
I think that went out some years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next piece of music now, Julie Lee. And this is uh, the absolutely gorgeous Apple and Lev from Gabriel Foray. Now, why did you want us to hear this one? You know, it's quite simple. I just think it's a beautiful piece. Simple as that. I think I might have learned it at, uh, at university. Um, you weren't playing the cello as well as no, uh, the clarinet No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, but funnily enough, in the score, it just says voice. It doesn't actually specify soprano or bass or anything oh. like that. And so it's been put into various keys by various artists, and it's only about an octave and a half in range. So the, the poetry itself is is quite lovely about, um, gosh, for memory, I think it's a, a dream about two lovers. Yeah. But instrumentally, I, I think that the tune is so beautiful that it holds without without any words. Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, for an instrumental rendition of Gabrielle Fauré's Apple en Rêve. The pianist was Catherine Stott, and that was the choice of my guest in conversation today, soprano Julie Lee Goodwin. Now, Julie Lee, I see on your Instagram page that you are a certified Pilates instructor. Oh, yes. You know, is that just how you detox after some intense performances? Oh, gosh. You know, I've loved Pilates my whole life. I was introduced to it from the ballet girls in Phantom way back in my first show. Oh. And I just always felt fabulous after it. Felt tall and just ready to face the day. And uh, so during the pandemic, I decided I would turn my love of Pilates uh, into another stream of income. <laughs> this is side a job. Thing. Yes. And oh, so you uh, actually instruct? I teach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodness. Mm. So Classes large you... and small. <laughs> Live or, or, or online? Live. Wow. Mm. So what, are they regular classes? How do, how do you keep that up when you can say, I'm terribly sorry, I've got some carols to sing in a few well, days' time. Well, uh, yeah, so next, far it's worked. Canceled. So far it's worked. Um, the good thing about performing is you, you usually have quite a lot of notice about of locking in, yes. locking in uh, concerts and performances and things. So I just let the studios know that I won't be available and, you know, someone else will step in. And I step in for people. If I've got a, a bit of a quiet time singing, I'll step in and teach some extra classes. So... 
it kind of works out quite well. Yeah. The only thing is I don't think I'm doing as much Pilates because I'm teaching. Well, no, you're not because you're constantly checking on the other people. Exactly. It. Yeah, it's their time. So you have to do your own Pilates class mm. after that mm. or before that to limber up. That's right. <laughs> Maybe at your advanced level. <laughs> oh, it's a great way of keeping fit. What else do you like to do to, to chill out? Walking. I love walking. Walking. Um, I've got a puppy now. Oh, well, she's still a puppy. Walking. She's 10 months yes. um, old and she's absolutely adorable. I loved walking anyway, but I thought that would be a great excuse to take her to the park and to the beach and yeah. um, get out and about. So I, that's something I love. You know, I, I, I sort of go through waves when it comes to cooking, but lately I've been on the wave of, of really enjoying just taking some time to cook, whether it's, you know, a slow cooked sort of French meal or whatever it is. And funnily enough, I have this sort of ritual when it comes to something where I'm taking my time to cook rather than just cooking to eat. Cooking to eat yeah. Exactly. And um, where I'll pour myself a glass of wine and I'll put on a jazz playlist oh. and and just I'm stirring the risotto or whatever it might be and, um, and just take my time. And I don't really know anything about jazz and I kind of want to keep it that way. There's no critique happening in my brain. I'm just yeah. grooving along. I'm just enjoying. So are you a calm chef or are there ingredients all over the kitchen? Flour I feel calm, but it's an absolute mess. <laughs> Without a doubt. I don't know how I make such a mess. Well, as long as you I feel do calm. clean up straight away because yeah. you don't want to wake up to something like that. Mm, there's nothing quite like making food whilst having a glass of wine, is there? Oh, how good. It is. Yeah. Simple pleasures. Yes, simple pleasures indeed. And I think that's maybe what the COVID period taught us was to how to enjoy those simple pleasures. Definitely, mm. yeah. There must be roles out there that you'd like to tackle, whether they're musical theatre or opera. You know, funnily enough, we were talking about all of the movie musicals I watched as a kid and I don't think I've done any of those shows. Oh. Which is heartbreaking shame. for me. I know. And um, so if it ever came up, which it probably won't now, but if it ever came up My Fair Lady or... Um, a carousel or something like that, then I would be thrilled to do one of those sorts of roles. Ooh, keep your eye out mm -hmm. then. Well, we're talking Christmas, uh, but New Year is uh, straight after that. And I see you're actually singing in the New Year's Eve gala concert for Opera Australia. Yes, I'm thrilled. The Opera House is such a fabulous place to be, New Year's Eve. Not a terrible place to be on New Year's uh, Eve. No, and, and the concerts are always timed out so that you can watch the nine o'clock fireworks <laughs> and, and then the midnight. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I've actually only ever performed in the theatre New Year's Eve um, many times, so I've never been in the concert hall. Oh. So, yeah, I'm excited about this new experience. Because there must be an incredible buzz performing in those special event scenarios where everyone's just in such a great mood because it's New Year's Eve. Exactly. Everyone's happy to be – well, you're always happy to – I'm always happy to be in the theatre. But I must say it's a little bit of chaos, though. Because just getting yes. into the theatre <laughs> with, oh, yes. with your pass and through the crowds, and I mean, it's a little bit insane. But once you're inside – and then you can't leave early. You have to stay at least well into you know one o'clock because yes, we can't get home otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you're sort of ready to have quite a, a, a fun a night. A long night. Yeah. You don't have to get there at like eleven o'clock in the morning, do you? No, no, no. no. Oh, Fortunately right. not. No. Oh, well, that's all right. Then. No, my place is reserved. My dressing room's reserved. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie Lee Goodwin, it's been absolutely awesome having you here today. But before I let you go, there is one more piece of music to introduce, and it's funny that you were talking about listening to jazz while cooking because that's exactly what we're going to hear. Is this one of the tracks you listen to? Uh, when you're cooking. Yes, I uh, I don't mind a bit of a Dudley Moore trio. And, uh, the great Dudley Moore. I know, old school, huh? Yeah. And uh, I've got one of his albums. He was albums. on those VHS tapes as well, I bet, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, so this was one that came to mind um, just as a nice, uh, easygoing piece to listen to. But you said you don't know much about jazz, but you just know what you like, right? Well, you know, I, I went to New York once and um, went to a jazz bar because I thought, oh, New York, jazz, jazz, jazz. why not? 
And <laughs> it must have been, it, I didn't realise it was an avant-garde night or something. I love a tune. And this night, it was something really famous, Blue Bar or something. There was not a tune all night long and it was absolutely <laughs> awful. And so... Um, I'm definitely, uh, I like the old school kind of jazz trios yes. or even Frank Sinatra or even yes. the modern modern singers, but I definitely want to tune when it comes to, when it comes to jazz. So. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> a tune is always a good idea. Julie Lee Goodwin, thank you so much for being in conversation with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Soprano Julie Lee Goodwin. She's performing carols at the house with the Sydney Philharmonia Choirs under conductor Elizabeth Scott. They're also being joined by actor John Bell and on the Sunday concert, the audience get a chance to take part in a run-through of Elena Katzchernan's song Summer Together ahead of the concert. It's on for three performances from Friday the 15th to Sunday the 17th of December. Visit sydneyphilharmonia.com.au for more information and for tickets. That's the program for today. Catch up on past episodes at 2mbsfindmusicsydney.com slash inconversation or via the 2MBS app, downloadable from the Apple Store and Google Play. You can also follow the show in your podcast app of choice. Just search 2MBS In Conversation. I'm Simon Moore on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network.